Let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6, where today uh, what we're going to be doing is we're going to finish our time in the chapter by looking uh, at the promise of preservation that is only found in a relationship with Christ. You see, uh, over the last few weeks, we've seen this call uh, to persevere. Really, for the entire uh, time in Hebrews, we've seen, uh, in light of this threat, to to run to, uh, man, former things, specifically uh, Judaism. Uh, The writer is saying, hey, no, uh, man, look to Christ. He is the, the foundation. Build upon that. Go to maturity. Don't be dull of hearing. Persevere. But in the midst of that, what we're going to see today, and man, it is such good news for our souls, is that perseverance, uh, man, the reason we continue on is we, because, man, if you're a follower of Jesus today, every disciple of Jesus, uh, I want you to know this. Man, our perseverance is really found in the preservation of Jesus. He is the one that holds us. And so what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks is not do better, do enough. I hope you work hard enough or know enough. It's like, no, run to Jesus because he is enough and he is the one that holds you. Therefore, have hope. Or as we've termed it in this part of the Hebrew series, have confidence in Christ. That's what I want you to hear. Man, the last... The last two weeks in Hebrews, uh, they've been, they, they, like, it, it's been uh, some heavy lifting. But today, man, I hope that we leave this, like, like, encouraged and empowered because of what Jesus has done. I hope we do that every week. But sometimes, like, you just, especially in Hebrews, you walk through it and you're like, oh, man, that was just really heavy. But today, what we're going to see is we're going to see a, the good news picture of what Christ has done for us and how He is the one who... Uh, it is good news from beginning to end and everything in between. I shared last week, you know, uh, that, that term when we count to 100, 1, 2, skip a few, 99, 100. And I said, you know, oftentimes like in our lives, we, especially lives of faith, we love the beginning and we're hopeful for the end. But, uh, man, I, I argued last week that, man, it's about the 96 that, that makes us more into the image of Jesus. And so today we find ourselves in one of those 96. And so we've seen this call over the last couple of weeks against dull hearing. We've seen, hey, don't be dull of hearing when it comes to God's Word and the good news of the Gospel being proclaimed to you. Uh, not just that one time, but every single day of your life you're in need of it. Uh, but because dull hearing, what we saw is it leads to immaturity. And yet God, because of His grace and love and that He will not leave us where we are. And He is growing us up into something. He is calling us to mature, to build upon the foundation of the gospel that we saw last week so that we might grow into maturity and we might not uh, be like those who claim to have faith but have no real faith and just turn away when things get difficult and hard. But we would show ourselves, show our faith to be true by persevering. We closed last week with that exhortation. He says, look, I'm, uh, I, I am uh, not, not concerned because uh, I, I believe that the way you're living is a, is a way that is, is revealing the hope of Jesus because of your love for others. But he says, continue on. Continue to imitate those of the faith. And so today on the tail end of one of the greatest warnings in Scripture regarding our faith, we find one of the greatest assurances of the hope that we have in Jesus. 
And the way it's going to come, it's a bit different. It's going to come by way of telling Abraham's story in Genesis. You see, the best way for me to work through this text today is to do just that. I'm going to tell Abraham's story. Not every little detail, but we're going to look at Abraham's story of faith. You see, because as the writer writes, those reading it, uh, because they were former Jews, uh, likely, most of them, they would have immediately picked up and they would have understood the whole story. But for us, uh, I don't want to assume that we just understand everything about Abraham. And so that's where we're going to jump in today. We're going to begin our time just working through a, a good portion of Genesis. And then we're going to jump in and see, okay, how does that story relate to what the writer of Hebrews is calling us to in the text today. But before I do that, before we dive in, I have a quick question. How many of you remember the first time you ever played rock, paper, scissors? Some of you are like, yeah, I still have the belt at home. I never lost, right? Like, like we all, like I remember, it was like second or third grade, and I remember someone came to me, and they just blew my mind, because they were like, hey, this game, we don't need anything other than our hands. I was like, fighting? Uh, and they were like, no. I said, all right, well, let's move on. And they said, no, you just do, it's three simple motions. It's a rock, it's paper, and scissors, and then they explained it to me. I said, okay, let's do this. I mean, it was like wildfire throughout our school, okay? I lived in a small town, there was one red light, not a lot to do, so rock, paper, scissors was a big deal. But we all remember that, right? For some of you, it's coming back around like maybe your kids are to that age. I know for us, our kids walked in the house and they were like, Dad, I got to tell you something. I learned a new game today. And they tell me and I'm like, yeah, we played that when I was kids. And they look at me like, what? You don't play games. You're not fun. Or when I tell a joke and they're like, or I, you know, they tell me a joke. and I'm like, yeah, we used to tell that joke. But Dad, you're not funny. How do you know jokes, Right. But we all have that moment. Like we realize like rock, paper, scissors was a big thing when we were younger. And I don't know about you. And again, maybe it was because I was in a small town. Uh, but after a while, those three moves got old. And so we started adding moves to the list. Okay. So it wasn't just rock, paper, scissors. It was rock, paper, scissors, lizard, Spock. Right. Uh, I don't know who Spock is. I think he's a Star Wars character. Uh, but... <laughs> I know he's not Star Wars, okay? I know that much. But we, that, that's the way it went. Like it, and it just kept building. And it seemed like every other day there was a new move. You know, someone would throw out dynamite, right? And then you knew that scissors could cut dynamite. And so you would win, right? So you had to throw out the right thing. It was volcano, tornado, earthquake. And then every time we got a new, it brought life back to the game, right? It's like, oh man, like what new thing can I think of? Hey Amen. I, I think I remember vividly, probably arrogantly or pridefully, but I was pretty good at rock, paper, scissors. And Volcano had been working for me day in and day out and until my buddy Travis came to the lunchroom. And he sat down beside me with the most smug look on his face. And I said, what's up, Travis? And he said, let's play. And I said, well, if you want to get beat, let's get beat, bro. Let's go. And so we sat down and he goes, and man, I know. I was like, Volcano, here we go. And so I throw up Volcano. I remember the move, right? I think it was just like this. And he just does, the, you know, so he rock, paper, scissors. I do that. And he just goes like this. <laughs> and I kind of look, I just stopped and I was like, what are you doing, Travis? Is this, and he goes, God. <laughs> and I was like, game, set, match, man. Like, I'm done. Like, like this checkmate, my mind was blown and it it destroyed everything. 
Because what can you do? You can't go above that. And so, man, rock, paper, scissors kind of fizzled out because everyone was just like raising their hands all the time. The God move destroyed everything. And with it, with that move came confidence because you knew you couldn't lose. It brought with it faith, assurance. It brought with it empowerment. You see, today in our text, what we find is that in the midst of every storm of life, we have an even greater confidence and hope. And it is because our anchor is not in the next best thing that promises to get us a win or security or identity. No, it's in the immovable reality of God's promise to Abraham. A promise that is revealed through His Son, Jesus. And it is a promise that is a present reality for all of us today. And so today, like, do you need hope in the midst of rough seas? Like, do you need an anchor in the midst of your searching? Do you need confident faith to continue on? And what I would say, just like Travis did in a different way, look to Jesus. Cry out to Jesus. Look to none other than Him. And so in speaking of this assurance of faith that we find in Christ, the writer of Hebrews spends time in this portion of the letter telling the story of Abraham. Because Abraham's story is a story of faith. But it's not simply a story of faith, because if you know the story of Abraham, it is a story of persevering faith. Again, that's been the writer of this letter's focus. A call away from dull hearing. A call away from apostasy and towards persevering faith. To see this story is also to be seen as a connecting story to our lives. Every person for all time has walked a life of faith. But you see, there are only two things you can have faith in. You can have faith in God and then everything else. One is secure, the other is ever-changing. One gives hope, the other hopelessness. One gives freedom in life, the other only enslavement and death. But you see, we are called to be a people who not simply live lives of faith, but lives of persevering faith that is built upon the finished work of Jesus. Again, you can go out and you can put your faith in almost anything, but it will not last. It will fail you every single time. Therefore, put your faith in Christ. And by grace through faith, persevere. Because in Him, there is, as we're going to see today, lasting hope. So the question becomes, what is faith? Well, Eugene Peterson describes faith or defines faith in this way. He says, faith is trusting obedience and what we cannot control, living in obedient relationship to the one we cannot see, venturing obediently into a land that we know nothing about. I think what Eugene did there was he just took Hebrews 11.1 and he just reworded it a little bit because Hebrews 11.1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You see this reality, this reality of what faith is, a trusting obedience in what we cannot control, living in obedient relationship to the one we cannot see, and venturing obediently into a land we know nothing about, that is what makes faith hard, but the good that we actually need. Let me explain what I mean. When I, when I say that's what makes faith hard, the reason I say that is because when we think about faith and that kind of faith, biblical faith, 
the, the reality is, is we don't like to not be in control, right? How many of you, you like to be in control? Like just, it's a safe place. Like honestly, you're like, I like to be in control. Now, actually, all of us like to be in control. Because some of you, when I ask that question, you're like, no, I'm kind of like, I'm that go with the flow kind of person. Like me, I don't know if, I don't want to get into all the ins and outs of the Enneagram, but I, if there's a nine, I'm a nine. I'm a human being, but I, nine, and what they, they define a nine is a peacemaker, right? I'm the ultimate, like, ask Jeremy. He's like, hey, at the office, like, you want to do this? I'm like, yeah, dude, whatever. Right, let's go. I'll just go with the flow. But you see, for me, and maybe for you today, actually going with the flow is control. If I just go with the flow, I can control things. Because I, I really, I, I don't feel like it's on me. And so all of us, regardless of where you find your today, whether it's overt or covert, we like to control. And if you don't believe me, uh, whether you go with the flow or you just love the reality of control, uh, when things get out of control, how do you respond? That, will, that reveals the heart that we all like to control things. We just do it in different ways. You see, we, if we're honest, want to see it, we want to feel it, we want to mold it, and we want to control all of it. And that makes faith hard because we're putting our faith in that which can be known. Because guess what? We can know God more fully than anything else. And He is inexhaustible, so we will always continue to be knowing Him more. And yet, He cannot be seen, and more vividly, God cannot be controlled you are not God. He is. He is creator. You are created. So that's hard. And yet, I said it's good. It's actually the good we actually need. It's good because nothing else will give us life and lead us as a sure foundation through it all. And so the text gives us this example of faith in the life of Abraham and the faithfulness of God through it all. You see, God's going to make a promise to Abraham. And, and, and when God makes this promise, as we see in the text, He's going to even go above that and he's going, to, he's going to put an oath or He's going to swear upon that promise. That's like me and Travis, right? Like when Travis did this, like God is saying, look, I'm going to say this and yet I'm going to, just, I'm going to go on top of that and say it again. Because there's no greater move for God than to just be God. And so he makes this promise. He says, surely, Abraham. Now that word surely is not immediately, but it is for sure. He says, surely I will bless and multiply him. And then what we see in Hebrews here in just a minute is, is that Abraham patiently waited and he obtained. So here we go, beginning in Genesis 12. God calls a man named Abram. He's going to become Abraham. And he calls him. He says this. He says, go. Leave your country. Leave your extended family and your father's house. What that means, what he's saying, he's saying, go, leave your culture and everything. You found security and rest and satisfaction. Leave your extended family, which, man, family is huge in this culture and context. But also, he says, leave your father's house. Leave your retirement plan. And then he says, go to a land. And he says, you're going to leave and you're going to go and there's going to be a land. He says, God says, I'm going to show you that I have a land for you. You see, the promise begins here. 
I believe the promise all the way, goes all the way back to like Genesis 3. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation. He says, I'm going to bless you, Abram, and give you a great name. Look at this. He says, I, I'm not just, God says, Abram, I'm not just going to give you a great name. I'm going to bless you so what? So that you might be a blessing. You see, we are given life. When we talk about the Gospel, every follower of Jesus, we are given life and identity in Christ so that we might be a blessing to others. We have been blessed to be a blessing. What happens in Genesis 12 is Abram responds. And he responds in faith. It says that he went. That's it. Like he went. Without all the details, not seeing, touching, feeling, or controlling, he went. He didn't just say, okay, I'll go, but you tell me where first. Is that how you respond? You see, in our lives, when God calls us to something, we are in faith and obedience just to go. That's why Jesus, in Matthew 28, He just says, go make disciples. Now, in the beginning, He doesn't say where. He says, just go do this. This is what you're commissioned to do. And what that means is, just go everywhere and make disciples. Then in Acts 1.8, he says, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, which reveals like it's going to be a full scope of disciple making. But I think as we hear that, as we see Abram's response, I don't know if you're like me, but again, that gets back, that, that's hard. Like being told to go somewhere and not knowing how to get there is hard. Or even not knowing where you're going. I think it's especially hard in our technolo- technologically driven culture. Like, I, I don't know about you, but man, our phone, especially Google Maps, like that gets us everywhere, right? And if it's off by any, like we want to throw our phone out the window. Like, how dare it? But like before that, like we had faith, right? Like we printed off maps. And then we hoped that the roads were updated online, right? And then we hoped that all of our papers were in the right order so that we could, and then we read those things. Because, man, if they got out of order, you weren't getting from Belton to Brenham. You were going to go somewhere else that you didn't know. But then I think about, like, even before that, like, my grandfather, he would pull out a book, like this massive map out of the back of his truck, and he would have to look for roads. And, and like, he just went for it. Most of the time while driving, like, he's doing that. Hold the wheel, and I'd, like, hold it, and he would, like, be looking at the map. He's before that, like, but for Abraham, it's just like, Abraham, go. I'm going to show you, but just go. And he went. Genesis 13, this promise of blessing and multiplication continues when God calls Abram to journey on from Egypt and tells him along the way, he says, Abram, I want you to turn and look in every direction, north, east, south, and west. And I want you to know that the land will be given to you and your offspring He says, your children will be like the dust of the earth. He then says, arise and walk. To which Abram, who hasn't responded in the story yet regarding the how, moves his tent and those with him. In Genesis 14, Abram gets victory and rescues Lot. He's blessed by Melchizedek. Be here next week, you'll learn about that. Uh, And yet, even in victory... Even in victory, the fruit of faith seems far off. Like Abram hasn't said anything yet. 
He, 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 you know, God says, hey, you're going to be the father of many nations. I'm going to bless you. And, and you're going to feel like you're going to be more than, than the dust of the earth. Abram's probably looking around like, I have no heir. I don't have a child. Like, how is this to be? And yet he goes. Like, I know I'm not that patient. I think a lot of times we say we have faith, we say we're willing to go, but we want immediate fruit. And then look at Genesis 15. I'm going to just read it this morning. It won't be up on the screen, but Genesis 15, 1-6 says this. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed, listen to this, verse 6, He believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So God comes to Abram, and he says, Fear not. But then look what he says. He says, Fear not. Your reward shall be, which is future assurance. But then he says, Great. He doesn't just say, Your reward will be good. Or he doesn't say your reward will be enough. Actually, what he does is, Abram, look up at the sky. Start counting. Can you count all the stars? Which you can't. He's trying to say, this is how great your reward will be. And Abram can't keep quiet any longer. You see, the struggle of his faith is revealed. He says, look, God, you keep promising and I keep going and I have no offspring. You see, Abram is like us, for we often struggle. Well, often when struggling to have faith, we have limited perspective and forget that God sees and knows all. You see, our response in these moments is often selfish and self-focused. I don't know about you, but for me, like I just throw a pity party. I'm going to throw a fit, maybe lay on the ground, kick around a little. Not in public, but in private. But look at God's response. He says, look to heaven. Number the stars if you can. So shall your offspring be. Not Again, he doesn't say how. He says, just have faith. It says that Abram believed. So Abram, what that means is Abram had faith. And that faith was counted as righteousness, which again is good news for our souls today. Because Abram didn't do anything to earn that. He was declared righteous apart from works. This is 14 years before circumcision and hundreds of years before the law. And what God does, if you continue reading Genesis 15, is He commemorates this moment with a sacrifice. And He says, Abram, I want you to take the sacrifice and put one on one half and the other on the other and make a way in between. And what happens is God appears in the form of a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. We're not going to get into why and all the details of that. But He passed between the pieces as a mark that He would be the one, that God would be the one who fulfilled His covenant promise to Abram. Not one side of it, both sides. If you read in the story, actually Abraham's sleeping. 
But God comes and He says, no, I'll make a covenant with Abram. And He's going to uphold both sides of that covenant. When He says, I'm going to make you a great nation, he's, it, God's going to be the one that does it. And then we get to Genesis 16 on the heels of this amazing story. Guess what happens? Abram gets impatient like us and he throws an audible and conceives a child with a slave woman. You see, Abram, who has faith in God, is worried that he will not have an heir because he and Sarah are old. And it doesn't work out. It never does, right? Like when we try to step in and just play God, like it never works out. The child is born and is then sent off, and yet God, even in the midst of unfaithfulness, remains faithful. Genesis 17, 1 and 2, God comes to Abram and He calls him to continue in persevering faith. For God, He says, God says, I will keep my covenant with you and I will multiply you greatly. He then changes His name from Abram to Abraham. He marks him and His future people with circumcision and promises that they will have an heir. He and Sarah in their old age. Which leads to Genesis 21. At a hundred years old, well beyond the age anyone would have faith in childbearing, Abraham, who had patiently and yet even imperfectly failed, God kept his end. God kept the covenant even when he failed. And he obtained a part of the promise. And there was great celebration, there was worship, there was faith, and then we get to chapter 22. But before we get there, let's go ahead and finally read Hebrews 6, 13-18. It says this, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of His purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. All right, so back to the story really quick in Genesis 22. So one chapter after the birth of Isaac in Genesis 22, God calls Abraham who responds in faith with, here I am. He says, Abraham, I want you to take your promised son, the son that you love, and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice. You see, in the midst of what seemed like the end of the journey, Abraham is called to sacrifice the one thing he had been waiting on for his entire life. You see, that's the thing about faith. That's the thing about sacrifice. God requires us to lay down the things we desire most so that He might be the thing we desire most. He requires us to lay down the thing we desire most so that He might be the thing that we desire most. Most. Another quote from Eugene Peterson in his book, The Jesus Way. He says this about sacrifice. He says, Sacrifice is a readiness to interrupt whatever we're doing and build an altar. Bind whatever we happen to be carrying with us at the moment. Place it on the altar and see what God wills to do with it. 
You see, it is an act of faith and the life of faith. And we are called to lives of faith that are marked by sacrifice. For through sacrifice, our lives of faith are made mature. You see, as we give up on putting our faith in other things, our faith in God as the faithful one grows. Look at it. This is what Abraham is prepared to do. His life had begun as one of faith by going and it had continued as a life of faith through which God had shown Himself faithful over and over and over again. And now in faith, Abraham was prepared to sacrifice his ultimate mark of fruit in faith. Hebrews 11 actually gives us a picture of this faith. Before we get there, just imagine what happens. Like they go... They head to the mountain and then they stop and Abraham says, Isaac, you take the wood. I'm going to take the fire. We're going to head up the mountain. And they go up. Hebrews 11, we see that Abraham, who had seen God do seemingly impossible, believed. He believed this. If Isaac was sacrificed, God would raise him from the dead or would give him another son. This is why as they journey up the mountain, he tells Isaac, who asks, hey, where's the sacrifice, Dad? He says, God will provide the sacrifice. We're only to have faith. What happens is Abraham ties his son down and prepares everything. And with a knife above his son, likely with tears in his eyes, is about to sacrifice his son. And God calls out again. He says, Abraham, Abraham, to which Abraham responds, here I am. And he's told that because he knew Abraham not only feared him, but had faith in him. And behold, he provides a ram for them to sacrifice instead of Isaac. You see, this is what we find following this moment is what the writer of Hebrews describes in 13 through 18. You see, in response to Abraham's faith, God takes the promise he had already made to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12 and he swears upon it. Which begs the question, why would God need to swear on a promise that he had made? God cannot lie. Because if he could, he wouldn't be God, right? I believe there's a couple of reasons. The first is in response to Abraham's faith. You see, God was so pleased with his faith that he swore the promise would come to pass. Which leads to the fact that Isaac was only part of the promise. Really the beginning of it. The promise was that Abraham would be the father of not one son, but a great nation that would be blessed to be a blessing. And so, man, when the early church heard this, when those that are reading this heard this, and for us, they're like, we should hear this story. We should hear what happens. And God's saying, look, I don't just promise it. I swear upon it. What they realize is that God is faithful to hold up His promise. Therefore, have faith and persevere just as Abraham did and receive the fruit of the promise, not, no matter the circumstance. For surely through faith we will receive the fullness of the promise which is found in the finished work of Jesus. We may not see it now, but guess what? It is assured. The, the truth is, is that assurance, the assurance that we have in Jesus is the only real assurance there is. Which brings us to the second reason for why He swore, which is to give us 
a hope greater than what we could produce ourselves. You see, when we think about humanity, like we make oaths all the time, right? The reason we, well, like, why do we make oaths? Because we're liars, right? Like, you are not a liar because you lie. Rather, you lie because you are a liar. It comes naturally to us. You don't have to teach a child that. It's like, it comes quick. And so when we say we promise, what do we do? If we really, really mean it, or we want them to do what we want, we swear by it. I swear on my mama. I swear by the moon and the stars in the sky. No 90s fans. I cross my heart, hope to die, stick a thousand needles in my eye. And yet we break them all the time, do we not? For some it's just blatantly, some it's mistakenly, some it's just like, well, I just used the excuse, my fingers were crossed, my toes were crossed, my eyes were crossed. You're a fool for believing me. You see, for those that, that, that would read this, and for us, like we should know that this was a really big deal. It is a really big deal, especially in this culture and context, for you to, if you say something, you swear by it, you better keep it. And yet Jesus tells those who follow Him to trust so fully in their faith in God that you don't have to swear by anything. You can just say yes, and it means yes, and no, and it means no. But how do we do that? Like, how does this come about? Well, God has promised, sworn, and fulfilled everything ultimate through the finished work of His Son. Guess what? If you're a follower of Jesus, you don't live out of desperation and fear. You live out of rest and faith in Jesus. And it should free you up. Like, look at verse 18. Look at how great this hope is in verse 18. It says, because God cannot lie, we who find refuge in Him might have strong encouragement to persevere. That that word for encouragement there literally means strong and powerful encouragement. Two two things about this. The, The first thing we see in 18 is that you have to seek refuge in Him. So often in life we are looking to God for hope, but secretly seeking refuge elsewhere. We're shoring up our bets just in case. You don't have to do that. We, we say, well, it's about what we can produce, what we can do, what we can control, what gives us relief. But real refuge can only be found in Jesus. The second thing I want you to know from verse 18 is that strong encouragement is guaranteed for the believer. Not ease. But strong encouragement and grace through it all. And so this leads into the close of the chapter, which anchors our journey over the last couple of weeks. Let's look at verses 19 and 20 as we close. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, so in light of our call away from dull hearing and into the maturity that is found in Christ, it reveals our faith to be full. We are then called to trust God as the sustainer of our faith from beginning to end. 
And the reason we can do this is because we have a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. I love that word picture there. So we know what an anchor is, right? Like you put it on a ship so that when they drop the anchor in stormy seas and, and, and waves, it will not be brought off course. It will not be uh, sunk, but it will be able to, it stabilizes it. It keeps it. You see, anchor is a mark of deep security. It holds us through every, every storm. But I love that it's not just an anchor. There's two other words, or really three words that describe it. At first, it's sure. The good news of Jesus is, the reality is that it can be trusted. You can lean into it. Well, why do, how do we know this? Well, the negative is because it's steadfast. Because God is the one who by His steadfast love, His covenantal love upholds both sides. And then we get the word soul at the end. This anchor is not concerned with external circumstances. It doesn't care how high the waves are and how hard the wind's blowing. Rather, it gives rest and assurance at the soul level. You ever experienced that? Like your life is the most chaotic it's ever been, but you can just sit there and you're just like, like on the inside, you're just at peace and at rest. And on the outside, it's just like, just craziness. And that's what we have in Jesus. So rest in that. For it is sure and steadfast. You see, so often we're just looking for quick external escape when God has provided for, what we really, provided for us what really brings security. How did He do that? Well, He did it through His Son. Jesus is our sure and steady anchor. He is the one whom we are anchored to. The, the writer here alludes to the Holy of Holies in the temple where the priest would go each year to make sacrifices for himself and for the people of God. You see, Jesus does not reside in any temple. He tore the veil, ascended to heaven where He sits at the right hand of the Father and intercedes on our behalf as our great high priest forever. There needs not be another one. You see, Abraham's story is our story. And it's a story of faith and sacrifice. But as every story does, the sacrifice always leads us to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus. For He is what God would ultimately provide. Now I want to close before we respond and share in communion and sing with an excerpt from uh, Sally Lloyd-Jones' Jesus Storybook Bible. If you never read it, we got some copies out there. They're free. Grab one. Say it's for your kids. But you go read it. I, I challenge you. Even if you've read it before, read one story a day. Like it, is so, it is such a beautiful picture each and every time of the good news of Jesus. But it says this at the end of Abraham's story after the, this, the story of him and Isaac. He says, And they sat there on the mountaintop watching the embers of the fire die in the cool night air. The stars above them sparkling in the velvet sky. God helped Abraham and Isaac understand something. God wanted His people to live, not die. God wanted to rescue His people, not punish them. But they must trust Him. One day, someone will be born into your family, God promised them. And He 
will bring happiness to the whole world. He will bless the whole world. God was getting ready to give the whole world a wonderful present. It would be God's way to tell His people, I love you. Many years later, another son would climb another hill, carrying wood on his back. Like Isaac, he would trust his father and do what his father asked. He wouldn't struggle or run away. Who was he? God's son, his only son, the son that he loved, the Lamb of God. And that's good news today. And so I'm going to have the team come back up, and I just want to ask, like today, what is your faith in? Is it the, the endless tricks and moves and things that you use so that you can look the part and try to control the things up front or behind the scenes? Or is it finding refuge in the One who is the anchor for our souls? Where do you find refuge? What are you seeking to control? Are you seeking to make sacrifice? Are you trusting in the sacrifice that is Jesus and is finished? So today, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to beckon you implore you to turn to Jesus today. He is the only one that can give you life and assurance. But regardless of where you find yourself today, man, if you're if you're looking and running to other things, as we've said multiple times, I call you to repent. Believe the good news. Turn from those things. To sit in the reality of the gospel on a daily basis and then go and live out of anchored assurance. And when you wake up in the morning, if you anchor your life to Jesus and say, Jesus, you are the anchor. May I recognize that. May I rest in that assurance and then say, let me go out and proclaim that as the light of the world to others. Like what if we really lived as if this was true? And I believe it's empowering. We have a double assurance in Jesus. Therefore, we can be sent differently. We're freed up. So when God calls, I believe He's called, just say, here I am. And then go. When, when struggle comes, when, when it feels like, man, you just, sag, like, you just say, God, here I am. That you only hold the place. Here I am. And when he says, go, you go. That's what we want to be about as a church. And so I invite you to that, to spend some time just reflecting on your heart and life, allowing the Spirit to, to work. Um, we're going to sing. And I also want to invite you, if you're a follower of Jesus, I invite you to come share in communion. As you share in communion, I want you to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. That He did not struggle or run away, but He entered into where we belong. That He took our death upon His shoulders. He took our sin. He died in our place. He rose in victory so that we might have life.
So we have individual cups you can grab or you can dip in the juice and we've got bread here. But I invite you to that. But in doing that, before you take it, just say, God, here I am. Here I am. Thank you for what you have done. Here I am. Here's my life. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for stories like Abraham's that, that direct us to your son, that reveal just the depths of our own tendency and our own heart. And God, I pray as we respond now, God, that you would do a work for, for those maybe they don't believe, they, they don't have faith in you, they would come to faith in you today. They would quit running, they would find refuge and rescue in you and you alone. But for, for each of us, if there's areas in our lives that we need to lay down and just say, God, I, I lay that down at your feet. I look to you. God, may we say, here we are. And God, that we would go as your people and proclaim this good news to the world around us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.